You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 335, The Importance of the Apostle Paul. Recently at our church, we were going through a series of sermons on Christian virtues. Virtue is not a word you hear a whole lot about today, but essentially looking at Christian behavior or the Christian lifestyle and wrestling with the question of what does the Christian life actually look look like in day-to-day practice? What does God expect of us? What are the virtues that He expects us to model? And of course, the Lord Jesus modeled for us. And what we found is a lot of the material that we've been pulling from comes from uh, Paul's letters. Uh, We spent a lot of time in the letter to the Colossians. We spent a lot of time in the letter to the Ephesians. Um, We've referred to the Philippians, Romans. And, And really, the Apostle Paul had so much to say about the Christian life. And if you haven't really gotten to know the Apostle Paul as you've read the Bible, I I encourage you to spend time in his letters. And if you're not sure where to start, you know, jump into some of the shorter ones, uh, First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, jump into Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Galatians. Read, read the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy, uh, Titus. Um, even that little short letter, Philemon, is just absolutely brilliant. And then maybe tackle the longer ones, First and Second Corinthians and Romans. You know, we spent um, some time in Romans several podcasts ago, and um, you know, really just an amazing letter. But we want to talk about who the Apostle Paul is, and just kind of spend some time looking at his importance to the early church, his importance to the um, really the long-term development of our faith, and then his continuing importance today. Um, one of the the apocryphal books that came after the canon of the New Testament, and there's many of these. Um, there's uh, there's quite a number of books that didn't make it into the New Testament, and there's specific reasons for them. But that doesn't mean that everything there is false or heresy. In fact, one of them is a historical kind of a novel called the Acts of Paul and Thecla, and there's actually a physical description of the Apostle Paul that's given. It says. Um, he saw Paul, a man named Onesiphorus, saw Paul coming, a man small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting, and a nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness, for now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel." So we don't know if this is an accurate description of the Apostle Paul or not. It's one that's kind of um, been passed down through the traditions. And maybe it was even based, maybe this 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 apocryphal letter was even based on um, a true tradition. We don't know. 
But it's interesting to think about, you know, bald head, crooked legs, good state of body, had a unibrow, um, had a hooked nose, but he was full of friendliness and had the face like a man and also a face of an angel. Um, let's talk about Paul's place in the early church. You might be surprised to know that he did not occupy the place of influence and prominence in the early church that he has today. In fact, Paul's apostleship was constantly being called into question. Now, if you've read the, the, the book of Acts, the, the church history book that's in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> we find the story of Paul's conversion in chapter 9. He's first introduced in um, uh, chapter 8, chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, chapter 8, at the martyrdom of Stephen, and then his dramatic conversion, which is still considered to be one of the most dramatic conversions in all of history, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, he's actually en route to Damascus, going to arrest Christians there, um, as when I, when I was a police officer, we had, he had warrants in hand. He was going, he had, he had letters from the chief priest in Jerusalem. He was going to arrest the leaders of the church in Damascus. But Jesus confronted him, a bright light from heaven shining down, uh, brighter than the midday sun. In that bright light, um, Saul at the time, later the Apostle Paul, saw Jesus and had a conversion experience, and it transformed him forever. But even after that, in the early church, because he had not been one of the original apostles, his apostleship was constantly questioned. Listen to just a couple of verses. This is from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, the first letter. Chapter 9, he says, Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. And then if you wanted to read more, read uh, 2 Corinthians 11. We find um, him talking about this and feeling the need to even um, uh, give some of his qualifications, which weren't the qualifications that you might expect. Um, even though we know he was a Pharisee, he was very well educated, he, he, he trained under the great um, historical uh, figure of Gamaliel, who was known even today as one of the great uh, Jewish rabbis. Um, Saul, or the Apostle Paul, um, the qualifications he lists in 2 Corinthians 11 are not about his education or his pedigree, even though he just he briefly mentions them. Instead, he mentions how much he has suffered for his faith. And this is, uh, this is kind of an interesting way to approach it, but when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because if people are accusing you of being a false teacher, or in our day we might say a... Um, you know, one of the mega church, you know, rich guys who all he's doing is making money, and, and I don't necessarily believe that's true. I believe there's a lot of godly men and women that pastor large churches, but let's just for the sake of argument say that's who he's kind of being compared to. One of these, um, you know, get-rich-quick pastors who's, <clears throat> you know, not very, um, you know, doesn't have much character or integrity. If, 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 that was who the Apostle Paul was. He wouldn't have suffered all the things that he suffered. It would have been much easier to just go with the tide, continue to be a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish Pharisee, and do his thing. Because 
He was beaten with, he was flogged five times. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was robbed. And yet he's, he, he never gave up his faith. He continued to serve as an apostle. But his po- apostleship was constantly being in, called into question even during his day. <clears throat> but later on, as his influence was seen in the churches that he had planted and the body of work he left behind, I mean, he's credited with 13 letters of the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and 13 of them are the Apostle Paul. So, so there's a great body of work there that we still rely on. Um, another reason that he didn't occupy the place of influence and prominence that there in the early church that he has today is because, excuse me, he was a controversial figure even in his day. He was a controversial figure even in his day. Listen to what Peter says. Now, Peter and, and Paul were friends. They, they, they became friends. They had some conflict. If you want to read about that, read Galatians. But they worked through it and they were friends. But listen to what Peter says. He, he's actually in his letter, um, second letter, he says this. <clears throat> and remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all his letters, some of his comments, Peter says, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. This is an amazing passage of Scripture because even here, uh, probably in the 60s, probably the mid-60s A.D., the the Apostle Paul was already known for a body of work, um, writings, that Peter's referring to, so he was familiar with them, but they were also already being regarded as Scripture. They were being seen as inspired. And this is amazing because Paul says, puts, puts Paul's letters, Peter puts Paul's letters in the same breath as he speaks about the scripture. So this is quite amazing. But you can see what Peter's saying is that people are taking his letters and some of the things he's saying and they're twisting them. And, and, and Paul even refers to that in some of his letters. If you read the Thessalonians, there's two letters, two short letters. One's five chapters and one's three. So they're very short. But there's there's controversy there. They misunderstood some of his teaching. And so he has to write again and clarify. When you read in Acts, the the perception that, that Paul had in Acts um, even in his day, it's quite fascinating because just before he was arrested um, in Acts, uh, in chapter 21, verse 20, listen to what it says. This is James, the leader of the church, talking. Paul, and essentially what's happened here is Paul has come to Jerusalem and um, he, he, he meets with the apostles. It says in, in chapter uh, 21, verse 18, the next day Paul went to meet with James and the elders um, of the Jerusalem church. After greeting them, he gave a detailed account of all the things that he had done, all the things God had accomplished through him in reaching the Gentiles. But after hearing this, they praised God and said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed. They all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching the Jews to live among the Gentiles, who live among the Gentiles, to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish uh, patterns and customs. 
quite interesting. So even in his day, Paul was a controversial figure. He was accused of um, telling people to ignore the law, which he did not do unless you were not Jewish. If you were Jewish, he said, by all means, keep the law. Um, but if you weren't Jewish, he did not expect you to. But uh, again, a controversial figure even in his day. Well, don't go away. I'll be right back um, talking about the Apostle Paul. But I wanted to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. This was actually my doctoral dissertation. And, you know, it's a fascinating and and really, I think, quite good look at Peter and Paul, their particular ministries, but also um, a a nice picture of the early church. Uh, Really, there's so much great material here, background material on Paul and his writings, on Peter, uh, on the backgrounds of of, of the apostle uh, Paul and and, and Peter, but also on on Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke, Luke and Acts. And it really gives us a good breakdown of the kinds of things, the kinds of ministries that these apostles did in taking the the church and really taking it to the next level. And as we'll see, this is really what Paul is known for. So uh, by all means, check out Peter and Paul in Acts. Click on the link. You can read a chapter or so for free, and it'll give you a good idea. And then by all means, click buy, because I know you will really enjoy it. Okay, so we've been talking about the fact that we're talking about Paul's place in the early church. What was it? Well, first of all, it wasn't as influential and prominent as we would think it was. It was constant controversy. Paul was constantly having to um, defend himself. And, and, and it's, it's kind of sad when you're having to defend yourself from those who want to kill you physically, but also having to defend yourself from those who don't believe you're an actual apostle. But he weathered the storm and his writings still stand today. Now, the second thing we find out about Paul, he was the church's first great theologian. And if you're, if, you, if, you're, if you're not sure, you know, really if that's true or not, just read the letter to the Romans. It's probably one of the most brilliant documents ever written, Christian or not, non-Christian. It's absolutely brilliant. It just covers pretty much every aspect of our faith. And, um, you know, really it articulates, Romans articulates Paul's theology of what God has done for us in Christ. Um, you know, it was interesting because Jesus, the Son of God, he, he didn't teach as a theologian. He taught as a Jewish rabbi. And there's a, there's a real difference. Jesus was teaching um, culturally within the place where he was planted. And... He, he taught in parables. He taught very much like a, a Jewish Pharisee or a Jewish rabbi would teach, uh, making it practical, explaining the law, teaching his followers how to follow God. Of course, he was doing it on another level. He was doing it in a way that eventually um, part of that teaching eventually got him crucified. But Jesus taught as a Jewish rabbi, which is what he was. Now, Paul, however came and took what Jesus had taught and really took it to the rest of the world. And whereas Jesus wasn't even trying to be particularly systematic, Paul was systematic. And so we see him developing 
a theology. In fact, if it wasn't for Paul, it's easy to see that God would have had to raise up either somebody else or the Jewish uh, faith would have swallowed up Christianity. Because the big, uh, you know, the big argument was, is, you know, do Jews, do, do Gentiles need to become Jews to become Christians? We'll talk about that in just a minute. So Paul was the man who systematized what we believed. He explained the faith in a way that the Greek world could understand and begin to follow. And ultimately, that was what, um, you know, really where we're at today. And, and when you see the, 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 the gospel begin to spread throughout the Roman Empire, it was Paul who took that Jewish uh, teaching Jewish-based teaching, and really explained it in terms that the, the Greek mind could understand as well. There were two things, really, that, uh, that Paul wrote in response to. The first was this. What was the relevance of an insignificant Jew born in the backwoods of Palestine to a sophisticated Greek and Roman world? How did he relate to them? That's what we were just talking about. Um, if, if you know, Imagine you know, young Greek Christian who has had an encounter with Jesus, his life has been changed, and now he's ha- he's trying to share with his family and friends what's happened to them. And so he's talking about this Jewish teacher who lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away from them. And, you know, if they lived in the city of Corinth, they lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And he's having to explain to them how this crucified Jewish rabbi, prophet, teacher, whatever you wanted to call him, how his death and then ultimately his resurrection was significant and was really the key to their eternal salvation. I mean, even today, trying to explain that today sounds crazy. And so so Paul, this was part of what he was trying to accomplish. He was trying to make it relevant for his hearers because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. At least if you're talking to a Jewish audience, you've got a a place to start, because if you read the Gospels over and over again, it says that Jesus did such and such so that the prophecy might be fulfilled. Well, those who don't know the prophecies could care less, so Paul had to make it relevant for them. Listen to what he says here in uh, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those uh, who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God, as the Scriptures say. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. He says, it goes, continues, he says, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles all say it's nonsense. And so it's still a challenge today to try and explain the gospel to somebody. Um, obviously, there's a work of the Holy Spirit in, 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 in people's salvation, but you know, when you read Paul's letters, um, I think we, we talked about it in, when we discussed Romans, you know, there have been many people throughout the centuries who have converted to Christ 
just by reading Paul's letters because he's so systematic, he's so clear in so much of his thinking. And when you read it with an open heart, you know, very often we find the answers that we're looking for. A second challenge that, that Paul wrote to in his day as, as the church's you know, first great theologian was what we talked about briefly was the Jew-Gentile problem. I mean, you think about it, Christianity sprang up out of Judaism. So for many Jews, they just saw Christianity as the logical extension of Judaism. So if you want to follow Jesus, men, you need to get circumcised, yay, and we all need to follow all the Jewish dietary requirements and all the other things that go into following the law. So the question was, is there any advantage in being a Jew if all the Jews had to do, or all the Gentiles had to do to believe is get saved? And so there was this, I mean, you read Romans, he deals with it. He deals with it some in Corinthians. In the entire letter to the Galatians deals with this issue. In fact, the church in Galatia, a predominantly non-Jewish church, um, they had bought into some false teaching and so the men were getting circumcised. They were all converting to Judaism as part of their Christianity. And Paul, in very strong terms, says, if you're going to follow and trust the law for your salvation, you've fallen from grace. The, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the cross, means nothing anymore. In other words, if you're trying to earn your salvation, there's, there's nothing God can do to help you. You can't earn your way. So... You know, what, what was the, the balance here? How did we, we find that? You know, the Jews had the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. They had the synagogue. They had the temple up until the 70 AD when it was destroyed. destroyed. They had their traditions. Um, and, and this is a big one, the Jewish faith was a legal, a licensed uh, religion in the Roman Empire. Uh, every faith wasn't. Christianity was, wasn't until it the nation converted in the 400s AD, um, Christianity was not a legal religion. For the first part, for the first number of years, it was just seen as a sect of Judaism and it was okay, but eventually there came to be an understanding that Christianity and Judaism were different, and so Christians became outlaws. But the Jews, why did they need the Gentiles? Uh, they, they're already a licensed religion. If you want to you join us, just follow our rules, get circumcised and follow the law. They were the chosen people. But then the, the, the other issue, the Jews, the, or the Gentiles rather, looked at themselves as free from the shackles of the law and traditions of the Jews. They didn't need it. They were saved by faith. You know, Jesus didn't come to, 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 to put them under the bondage of the law, Paul had taught them. The Gentiles had received essentially what the Jews had rejected. And you see that over and over again in Acts and in Paul's writings. He talks about the fact that, that the Jews had ultimately rejected Jesus. Now, obviously, there were Jewish Christians. There were many of them in the churches. But there was this constant conflict uh, of tension. There was a bit of tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul had to deal with this. Um, and ultimately, they tried to come to a balance in, in, in Acts. And the, the balance was in chapter 15 was the, the church leadership said, no, no, 
The Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Greek Christians who are converting to their faith do not need to follow the law. The Jews obviously can keep following the law. That's their custom. That's their background. But it doesn't save them. And that was the understanding in, in Acts 15 is that all of us, Jew and Gentile both, were only saved by faith in Jesus. The Jews can continue to keep the law, but it doesn't bring salvation. The only thing that they, that they required in Acts 15 was that the, 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 the Gentiles who were converting to Christianity um, keep some very basic dietary laws so not to restrict their Jewish friends and to abstain from sexual immorality because it was so rampant in the Greek world. And, you know, obviously this is, is something that's, you know, throughout Scripture as well, but it's something that was reiterated in the, the letter that was sent out to the non, non-Jewish churches, the Gentile churches. And so, um, you know, this was kind of the compromise that was reached. Now, I'm going to wrap up there. We've talked about Paul's place in the... We're talking about Paul's place in the early church and the fact that, first of all, he wasn't nearly as popular in the early church as he was today. He was actually quite a controversial figure. And the fact that he was the church's uh, first great theologian. And we will come back and pick up with this point again. We've still got some more stuff to talk about Paul's theology. But... um, We will stop there. We'll come back next week. And like I say, we'll probably continue um, at least two or three more weeks and really give us some insight into Paul, which hopefully will help you as you read through his letters. So if I could uh, just challenge you before next next week, um, maybe read 2 Corinthians, 1st and 2 Corinthians. At least I would say read uh, 2 Corinthians 5 because we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And, uh, you know, maybe flip through the uh, letter to the Ephesians. We'll be referring to it as well. If you have any questions or comments, please go to my website, davidspell.com. Leave that question or comment there, and we will deal with it. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. We'll see you next week on Leading and Learning.